everybody, this is Charlie from Mathrax, and you are listening to today's Food Doggle. This is Mark Metcalf, and you are listening to today's Food Doggle with Bailey on Domain Cleveland Radio. You are listening to today's Food Doggle with Bailey on Domain Cleveland Radio. Yes, Kato Kalen listens to this all the time. What's going on, everybody? It's Bill Bailey with today's boondoggle. And a uh, real quick housekeeping note, if you're watching us on YouTube or uh, BitChute or Rumble or uh, Odyssey, please hit that follow and subscribe button. And if you're listening to us on Spotify, Apple, Google, um, whatever podcast platform you utilize, please hit that follow and subscribe button so we can continue bringing you the conversations that I'm about to bring you right now. Talking with a, a old veteran friend of mine, uh, Marine Corps veteran Nick Eckley. What's going on, Nick? Not much, man. How you doing? I, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, well, I'll get into like how we met and stuff. Uh, you know, uh, briefly later on, but. Um, Usually when I have somebody on for the first time, I like to get a quick background. So you remember as a kid what you originally wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah, I mean, I can go back pretty far when I wanted to be a fire truck uh, just because I wanted to spray my hose everywhere, you know. Um, <laughs> and then I can remember when, uh, you know, I was I was an athlete growing up. I wanted to, to stay in that realm, whether it was playing or coaching or something. Um, you know, that was that was my dream was to stay involved in sports. Nice. And then um, do you remember like uh, when when you knew you uh, wanted to serve your country? Yeah, I mean, I do. So uh, it was would have been my sophomore year in high school. Um, I had a, a buddy that, um, you know, he was a few years older than me. He graduated, joined the Marine Corps. He got killed in Iraq. You know, it was first tour like real early on. And um you know, there was, there was some of those thoughts, like when I was, sit, I was sitting in school when 9-11 happened, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm young. Um, and, you know, you saw it and you're just like, wow, there's, I got to do something. You know, there's something I can do. And then, uh, you know, my, my sporting route kind of started to tarnish a little bit. I was getting lazy and then started getting in trouble and worrying about everything but doing what I was supposed to do. And uh, I had a anger management counselor and judge asked me if uh, I'd ever thought about joining the military. Um, and up to, I mean, I had up to that point, you know what I mean? Yes and no. It was like, yeah, you know, that'd be cool. But like, I can throw a baseball kind of hard. So I'd, re I'd really like to explore that. Um, and, it, you know, everything just kind of went down that path. And it was like, you know, if I'm going to go, I'm going to go. Like, I got a, I got a 96 on my ASVAB and I uh, went Marine Corps Infantry, you know, because smart choices, right? <laughs> Anger management, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. 
<laughs> and then, um, like, what were what would you say are some of the oddest things that you uh, experienced during your time uh, serving? Man, honestly, it was it was really wild to see all these different people from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, all over the country you know, kind of come together for the same purpose. And honestly, a lot of us had similar stories, you know, decent athletes, you know, try to explore this or that. Um, you know, we didn't have a ton of dudes that couldn't compete. You know what I mean? It was a pretty high testosterone environment for the most part. Like we had our ones and twos here and there, but, um, you know, it was not difficult to find a drinking buddy. It was not difficult to find someone to go and, you know, shoot hoops with or throw a ball around or anything like that. So, but a lot of the weird things like, man, deploying, like seeing the look on everyone's face and like you kind of chuckle internally. But in reality, you have that same look on your face when you're about to go over for the first time and just, you know, being scared to death. Like, you know, yeah, I knew our country is at war, but like, what is war? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, what are we going to actually go and see? What are we actually going to go and do? And you know, there was a psycho part of us that was like, yeah, this is going to be great. Like, we're going to get to, you know, actually do Marine Corps things and be a Marine and this and that until we found out what that was. We were like, ooh, careful what you wish for, right? But I think the weirdest thing was just like the psychological aspect of it and seeing everyone kind of unpack that in the same way, but in their own way. Yeah, gotcha. And then – um like without uh, breaking OPSEC, what would you say was like the worst place you served at? Man, that's a that's a list right there. Um, I think the worst place that I was in would have been Gitmo in Cuba. Like that place sucked. Wow. Yeah. It's not really I, the. Uh, what is it? The four seasons or whatever, right? No, yeah, you ain't lying, dude. It was it's either Gitmo or Haiti. Both of those places were just, I mean, like Afghanistan was bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it was bad, but just something about that. I don't know. Cuba, it's either Cuba or Haiti. I think probably Cuba because I was there longer. Gotcha. And then, uh, what would you say is one of the best places you served at? Definitely Australia. Australia, Japan. Nice. Yeah. That's uh that's definitely on my bucket list. I never made it out there, but I've yet to meet uh an ugly Australian woman. So Bro, you and you won't. You <laughs> like they keep them in like they keep the ugly ones hidden or something because geez, oh man, that place is awesome. <laughs> nice. And then um like what would you say is like one of your pet peeves since transitioning out of the military, like or you know that you have like with civilians? <laughs> My biggest pet peeve is when I get called a soldier. You know, everyone, oh, a soldier, you're a soldier, soldier. It's like, yeah, we ain't all soldiers, but you know, they not get like they're ignorant, they don't know, but that, it pisses me off big time. <laughs> like, yeah, because it's like my dad was a World War II Marine, man. And I mean, he, he took that to his grave, man. He's like, once right. a Marine, always a Marine, you know? That's right. Yeah, we're you earned that man. title, you yeah. know? And, you know, and that's what dude, I try to tell people that, too. It's like, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, there's a better branch. I was like, you know, we all have our job to do and we all do it really well. We all have pride in it. We all have pride in our tradition, and our history. But there is a small difference when, you know, someone joins the Navy, they're a sailor. Right. Or I guess a seaman recruit, but they're still a seaman. Right. They're, they're part of it. They get their uniform and they get to wear it right. 
you join the army, you're a soldier. You join the air, the air force, you're an airman right away. We join the Marine Corps, you're a piece of shit until they let you not be that. You know what I'm saying? Like we can't even wear our uniform properly. We don't get our name on it. We can't wear our cover right. We don't get to wear boots. Like we're walking around in tennis shoes with our pants rolled out. We look like we look like idiots for the first like month and a half we're in the Corps, and then we're treated like idiots for the next like year. But we at least get our EGA within that time and our call to Marine and things like that. So like that part of it, when someone like downgrades that to me, I'm like, ooh, you know. <laughs> Yeah, man. It's a lot of pride and took a lot to earn that, you know? For sure. And then, um, like, what is something that you always, like, carry with you from your time of service? My boys, man. You know, I, I try to live my life, you know, to make it worth their sacrifice. You know, we lost a lot of guys um, overseas and even since we, we've come back. And, uh, you know, we all, we all give up something. I don't care if you served, you know, one day deployed or you served, you know, six, seven, eight tours, you give up your youth, you give up, you know, a lot of things. So for me, that's something I always carry with me is, you know, my pride and, and their sacrifice for me to have, you know, the things that I have today. Yeah, man, I agree that it's, uh, it, sometimes that's like one of my biggest pet peeves, you know, with, with people that, that haven't got it, you know, this entitlement, um, that, that I run into a lot, you know, that's why I try and, you know, you know, instill that in my kids, like earn, you know, nothing's given, everything's earned, you know, and even people that, you know, that, that have never served that, that consider themselves like, you know, disciplined and, and athletes or whatever, man, you know, in their craft, it's like, don't, don't downgrade you know, the sacrifice. Cause what, right. what have you really truly know about giving everything up? Like your youth, like you said, you know, yeah. <clears throat> and then, um, what is like one of the funniest stories you feel you can share from your time of service? Man, there's a, it's a grip of them too. Uh, so I got, it's actually from when we were in Cuba. So, uh, I don't think I'm going to break any OPSEC on this, but we had, so Marines guard the the Marine observation towers, right? Like I'm sure you've seen a few good men. And like, I, w I was one of those Marines that had to stand post and, you know, you're, we call each other mirrors. Like we're just mirroring a, a Cuban guy. Well, Cuba is not the best country to live in. So, you know, CASs would come through, we call them, you know, CAS is a Cuban asylum seeker. They would come and they would, you know, swim around the gate or jump the fence or something. And we had this dude in our platoon. I'm not going to say his name. I'm not going to dog him out or nothing. But we had a dude in our platoon who was always like, oh, I can speak Spanish. And my family's Hispanic and blah, blah, blah. And he could, like he was saying, like, he could outspeak Spanish. Like, for some dudes, who's, like, that was their primary language, right? So, like, he was trying to get paid like an interpreter would get paid, you know what I mean, knowing a second language. So, we scoop up this CAS on, uh, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, we had actually just came off a post, did a patrol. They were doing a drill during our sleep time for a CAS at another location. Then a CAS actually came through. So we had to go get him. And uh, we scooped this dude up. Dude, he's in his underwear, cut like all cut up from going through things. And obviously, this dude speaks Spanish. So I had two Spanish speakers in my squad. And uh, the one that would always say, like, oh, I can, I'm this and that, you know, just kind of inflating himself. He is in the back of the Humvee talking to this dude. And the, my dude that's driving is Mexican and can, like, Spanish was practically his primary language and he's listening to them talk and he's like, bro. And like the dude's translating it. 
And everything that he said didn't make any sense. And I'm like, you know, maybe this dude's like super dehydrated. Like, I don't know how long he's been out here trying to get, you know, across this fence, but everything he said, it makes sense. And I'm sitting there, I'm like trying to write this down. I'm like, bro, what are you talking about? And my buddy turns around and he's just like, dude, you're an idiot. Like you haven't got a single word, right? Like you don't know nothing about Spanish. And like, to me, it's like in the Marine Corps, unless you're in a translating like job, you're not allowed to speak another language other than English in uniform. Right. So, and that's, I think that's why that dude was doing it to like explore his culture and say like, Oh, I can do this and that. And he couldn't, and he was trying to get paid for it. And he just botched it completely. And as soon as my dude turned around and started like MF and M about not being able to like say it right, we all just died and we're all laughing. And this Kaz is sitting there like, why are these dudes laughing at me? You know what I mean? Cause like they couldn't, you couldn't <laughs> we're saying it in English. So it was just like multiple different fly on the wall scenarios. And we we're all super sleep deprived and annoyed. And it was, you know, I got back there. I got my butt chewed because of the way we did the drill. Like we didn't have ammo when we went, like it was just a nightmare. So because that drill turned into live and we were like, oh shit. Like we weren't prepared for this at all. Like we didn't have our boots. Like I had one dude in a pair of slides. So I mean, we just got reamed when we got back, but we were all still laughing. So I don't know if that's the funniest one, but it's definitely like, <laughs> first one that popped in my head that it was and me and my buddy were talking about it a couple of days ago and we were just dying dude <laughs> i mean it's just the, the the type of shit that like people back home were just like what yeah right. <laughs> and like you said it ended up becoming a live and you know live scenario and 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 we could still like i don't know our dark humor can just like laugh at the most fucked up shit because what else are we gonna do man right and that's the thing it's like we went out there so when i when we started the drill i was i went to the armor i was like hey you know we need our ammo because on gitmo only mps are allowed to walk around with uh loaded mags so only way you can get a loaded mag is if you're going up on a tower or you're going to the fence line right so i went up there i'm like yo dude we like we need our mags and he was taking his time i'm like dude I get, you know, I'm going to get my ass chewed if we don't get this done quickly. Like our response time matters. Mike, it's a drill. Let's just get in the truck and go. And then we're like halfway out there and they call in a, a cat. I'm like, fuck. You know, I mean, I was like, here we go, dude. So we get back and I'm like, thank God this guy didn't have anything on him. And there wasn't Cubans, you know, hunting him down actively. Like I was just like, oh, dude, this could have been so bad. <laughs> And then, uh, what is something that you'll uh, you'll always carry with you from your time of service? So, like I said, my buddies, you know, what I mean, they're sacrificing everything. Um, but also, like, I feel like that pride and that discipline is something that will never leave you. You know, it, it's just it's weird now. Like looking back, I mean, I've been out for eleven years, and I look back, and it, I mean, it feels like a lifetime ago. You know, what I mean, but then you know, I get to talking about it and you remember everything like it was yesterday. Everything just comes right back. Cause they're just so ingrained. It's such a massive part of your life, but you know, you feel like it was so long ago, but you still carry so much of it with you day to day. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then, uh, what, did, what would you say is like one of your greatest hopes, uh, for the country that you've been willing to give your life for? Man, honestly, my biggest hope is that, you know, people just start to think, you know what I'm saying? Like I, when I was in, I, you know, and, and, you know, I was in, I came in under Bush and then served under Obama and then 
you know, got out right before Trump and seeing some of the stuff now and hearing some of the things that guys went through, not to get, you know, political or anything like that, but like pe people's vote has an impact. You know what I'm saying? Like those government shutdowns, like I was in the hospital when Obama shut down and, you know, I had a, I had a kid at home. My wife was like, you're in the hospital. We're not going to get paid. Like you had to buy a bomb and I'm not going to get a paycheck from, from the government for this. You know what I'm saying? And like some people in my family didn't, care about that impact you know what i'm saying so the, the thing that, I, that my greatest hope was that people just you know stop thinking about themselves you know like you said entitlement you know these yeah. people are so entitled to so many things and have never ever one time in their life had the desire to give up something to get those things you know and and so if people could just look like truly look at the cost right because i mean there's days and you know there's been dark times in my life where I looked at it and I said, you know, I envied my buddies that that got killed over there. I envied my buddies that killed themselves when we got back because it's like, man, they don't got to deal with this anymore. You know, I got to take this you know, to my grave, you know, however far out that is. And, and there's a there's a level of jealousy in that. And I don't think that your average civilian understands that and understands our mindset. You know, I mean, we mutilate ourselves with drugs and alcohol and, you know, dismorphing our bodies and just doing the craziest things to try and just to get through another minute sometimes, you know what I'm saying? And if people would start to truly earn some of the things that, that they feel entitled to, you know, it would be, it, it would have made the sacrifices worth it a little bit more. Oh man. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. It was, it, you know, like, you know, well, well, and I'll go ahead and get to like we met through uh, Wags for Warriors, um, a good organization here in, in uh, the Cleveland area, and uh, that provides service dogs to uh, to veterans. Um, and uh, you know, just the simple things like that. Like uh, it, it's usually the I found the most most of my healing and my journey since transitioning out has been through veteran organizations you know, other veterans doing for other veterans, you know, it's like, uh, um, a lot of, you know, it, it's, it's, it's disheartening, you know, to see like some of the, how the civilian side, I mean, I, you know, I try and, I try and give a little bit because it's like, they don't know it, ignorance or whatever, but you know, it, it's sometimes it's just so disheartening, like, dude, you don't, don't know and then when they talk down on like the benefits that we get like ooh, you know like what would you do to do you know fuck man you don't know you know right, what, right. And that's what a, we've given up bro. or what we're still dealing with and you said something too that like really i remember like it took me a long a, a long while but i remember like having the the stressors in the fight when i was going through my separation with my ex after my last deployment and in front of my you know, my, my daughters were like little at the time. And in front of them, I was just like, you know, saying, I wish I would have just died over there, you know, instead of come back to deal with this, you know, it's like, and, and it, it took years for me to like, you know, not, not just like work on myself, but to kind of fix what I left, what my kids got had to witness and stuff, you know, and, but, but what do you do? What do you do to earn this stuff? You know, it just blows my that's I can go on a whole nother rant <laughs> sure. there and stuff. But uh, 
I want to kind of get into a little bit of what you're um, dealing with now, but and and maybe that, that I'm sure that ties into this question I normally ask uh, veterans on here. What do you feel we can do to break the stigma of mental health and PTSD? Man, so that's a that's a big part of my job and what I do day to day. So that stigma. So it's, it's actually funny. I was reading this article the other day about. Uh, He's a Marine. He's talking about the ways that men cry, right? And the ways that men cry that it's accepted. And that, and that, that part right there is, is what hit me is the, the way that it's accepted, right? Because like, I mean, we all have feelings. We're human, you know? One of my lowest points after getting out was I had a therapist tell me, oh, you're a Marine. You can take it, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm a human. Like, I, there's some ugly stuff that happened over there that I don't know how to unpack, right? Like, it's your job to help me unpack that. So I think that like, those stigmas alone, like, oh, well, you're a grunt and you're getting paid. You have this benefit and that benefit. It's like, well, first off, I earned those benefits. You know what I'm saying? Like getting hit by an IED isn't the funnest thing in the world, right? Like just full disclosure, I could have totally done without ever going through that in my life. And yeah, I understand. I signed a contract. I take accountability of that part. But if my recruiter would be like, hey, bro, you're going to go to some of these crappy, crappy places and a bomb's going to explode underneath you. And you're going to get a grip of surgeries, walk funny for the rest of your life, have PTSD, not really be able to sleep. And you're probably going to have a couple of suicide attempts and, you know, turn to drugs and alcohol to, to cope with it. I probably wouldn't have signed that contract. You know what I'm saying? Like at that time, yeah. I would looking back, I wouldn't change anything about it now because it makes me, you know, who I am today, the father I am, the husband I am, all those things. But the, the stigma there is that the way that men cry, right? Like a woman gets upset, she cries, she gets happy, she cries, she gets mad, she cries, right? And, and it's acceptable. It's like, oh, you know, she might be a little bit over emotional, but you know, she's a woman, she can cry. Well, men, we, we get angry, right? And yeah. because that's the only acceptable emotion that we get from our peers is, oh, he's angry, you know, he's hard, don't mess with him or whatever. But I said, they're crying tears. Oh, he's soft, he's weak, he's this, right? So this, that's, but that's, that's our, society putting that on us like oh you know if this dude's crying like he's just weak and it's like nah dude like he's human you know and and i think the biggest thing is talking about these things like when you know guys would come home from world war one world war two korea you know there's all oh, your shell shocked you know and they didn't talk about it. everyone just suffered in silence you know yeah and you see some of the things that these dudes took to their graves like my grandfather you know world war two he was in the army air corps you know, he was a tail gunner on a, on a bomber. Like that dude went through some stuff. He got, you know, shot down in enemy territory. His best friend that he grew up with was a POW. Like, I mean, just these dudes went through some wild stuff, you know, trench warfare, all that kind of crazy stuff. And came home, never said a word, right? I mean, they got, you know, celebrated when they come home, came home. And then, you know, you flip it to Vietnam where they got dumped on hard when they came home. And then when we came home from Iraq and Afghanistan, it was, there was nothing. It was just, okay, go back to, you know, be home, just do, just do your life, be home. Right. And we were supposed to just accept it for what it was and, and not unpack it, not talk about it, not be able to do anything, just accept it. And it's like, you know, I see dudes all the, all the time. Like in my job, what I do, I talk to dudes all the time and I can see them fighting tears. And I'm like, yo, bro, you could cry. Like, I ain't going to judge you. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're going through it. You're dealing with it. I get it. I've been there. You know, these days of us crying and alone in a corner, crying in a shower just to, you know, so people don't see it, man, let it out. Like, you know, people can call me whatever they want. I don't really care. You know, if I'm soft or I'm weak or whatever, 
don't bother me none whatsoever. And, you know, I got a son that I have to show him, you know, you know, how to navigate the world and how people are going to, you know, look at them for certain things and stuff. But I just got to show him that's okay to feel, right? Because if he just fights it this whole time, he's going to grow up and be angry just like I am. And I don't want my kid to be angry. So that stigma is something that, you know, we all got to fight. You know, you see women all the time. Oh, the man has to this. He has to this. He has to this. He has to this. You know, so they want to want to bring us back to our traditional, you know, role as a man. But most of these women aren't really being a traditional woman, you know, as no. just, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. so it's like, you know, you want me to run these traditions back, but you know, you're going to go OFP. Like, mm, I don't think so. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, I'm saying, I'm not trying to be sexist or anything like that, but it's just kind of part of that, that falls into part of that stigma. And that's, you know, that's a fact. Like, you know, you look, you look those things up and the way that women look at men who show emotion, it's a very small percentage of them that care to see a man cry. And, you know, sometimes that's the only way that we know how to get that emotion out because before we became a man, we were a child and, you know, we all cried, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, you know, like you said, you know, they're used to seeing us get angry, you know, which is like, you know, and that's like almost like uh, accepted or like encouraged, you know, oh yeah, yeah, he's hard or whatever, but it's like, dude, it's a, de it's a defense mechanism, man, you know, cause, cause, you know, we want to cry, but you think I want to want to uh, patch up all these holes of drywall and stuff like that, you know, because I, I decided to get mad when I should have just been like, all right, I'm feeling it and let it, right. <laughs> you know, most of my healing has, you know, really when I was able to find that place where I could be vulnerable, you know, yeah. when I could find that environment, when I knew I had solid people around me and it was all right to share, you know, and, uh, like 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 little kid man with the big booger uh bubbles and everything dude i don't care right, yeah. it's just like i'm getting it out right get it out because if i keep holding it in it's just like dude the body keeps the score man it comes back and you know a lot of this That's chronic cool. pain and everything else that we're holding yeah, holding man. on to you know and uh yeah it, um it's definitely you know uh I, I've probably done a lot more I, I, now. And like you mentioned earlier, you know, the drugs and alcohol, it's like, I, I'm, I'm approaching uh, 15 years sober now. Good you for know? You. That's awesome. And um, that's been part of, part of my healing is, uh, you know, because I was able to find other ways, you know, the, the, they say in, in the program that I'm in, in recovery that, you know, the good news is you'll start to feel again. The bad news is you'll start to feel again, you yeah. know? And, uh, but I'm learning how to process my emotions now more maturely. And, um, it's definitely built stronger relationships with my daughters today. You know, that's been very healing for me as well. It, you know, the ones that I had scarred with those words and scared, you know, now the relationship I have with them today by continuing the, the work and the journey and the healing, um, it's a gift, dude. I, they've taught me how to be a man. My little girls are growing up to young women. They taught me also how to be a man, you know? For and, sure. um, um, yeah. And this, doing this, this podcast for me, this is therapy for me to be able to talk about these things when I have people on and just talk about real stuff, you know? Um, so, I, I wanted to get you on. Well, I'm, I'm glad you hit me up 
and and when I was reading through your stuff, like I want to talk more about the organization you're involved with now, but I wanted to touch back real quick on your 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 time of service. Like I said, I don't want to talk too much about the the shitty stuff, but you were there for in Haiti during the fall of the embassy, and yeah. I'm just curious about like what that you know experience was like. Dude, that was, um, you know, for a lot of our guys, you know, that I was with during that time, you know, we we all went on from there and went to Afghanistan and, you know, did multiple tours after that too. But a lot of our guys, man, that's that's still the worst for them, uh, especially our guys that we had in our unit that had kids. Um, dude, that was, I don't think I've ever seen anything. I still haven't fully unpacked Haiti um, just because like the the level of, irrational thinking that you have to have to like, did I see that? Did I really see this going down? Like, dude, we would try to hand out, like we weren't even there for the human humanitarian effort. We were there because the embassy in the prison fell. Right. So I was on a fast team and there was a, a mew that came through that was doing the humanitarian part out at Port-au-Prince. And we were at, like, we were in town working through things like security wise. And, but, you know, we saw kids struggling. I mean, dude, there's dead bodies all over the place. Like, I mean, it was insane. The smell was horrid. We would take this was after uh, the earthquakes or something, right? Yeah, it was after the earthquake. Yeah. Okay. In 2000 and what was that? 2009, 2010. And um, so we would try to hand food to like kids, right? Like, you know, give them an MRE or some crackers or whatever. Dude, and people would come over and beat those kids to death and take that food. Like right in the middle of the street. Like, I mean, it was the the most horrific scenes that I've ever been a part of. Right. And then like a few weeks into it, man, there's a, you know, a giant protest, all these dudes, they're walking down. There's like a thousand people walking down the street toward the MC. They got an upside down American flag. They're carrying M1 grants. And we're like, yo, dude, it's about to get real. Like, this is not what we thought we were coming here to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, we thought we were going to have to deal with some cleanup and then, you know, a little bit of security here and there, but not like this civil unrest of like, what are you here for? let us in. We want what you've got. You know, I mean, it was, it was ludicrous, dude. So I remember they did a uh, air sample when my squad was out on post and, uh, you know, we got, all we had was like concert barrier, you know I mean? Like just concert fence. And so there really wasn't much between us and them. I mean, if they wanted to hit us, throw something at us, you know, shoot us, there was nothing really protecting us. And, uh, you know, we had dudes getting hit with stop signs. And I mean, it was crazy, but they did a air test, air quality test. And it came up like 70 something percent fecal matter in the air. Mm. And I'm like, bro, we're just breathing this in, dude. Like, this is horrible. And you know what I mean? But you look around, there's, you know, people are just dropping trout going in the street because they no longer have water. Most of these places didn't even have running water. Now they, the little they did have is gone, you know? And so, I mean, it was, that, that was not a fun time. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've heard a lot of stories about a lot of the things that, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, you know, so much, uh, involved with Haiti and, and, and especially with the, the kids from what I heard, but to hear somebody that was actually there, man, um, that's crazy. So it was actually adult Haitians that were beat these kids up for whatever you gave them. Right. Yep. Yeah, man. That's and then like, there was kids getting kidnapped and snatched up so that they could come to the embassy and get medical care. Like they just roll up with these like two or three kids, like, Hey, these are mine and they need help. 
And then, you know, I mean, it's not like they have good record keeping over there, you know what I'm saying? And, and so, like, it was trying to decipher through that. And then, like, you end up finding out that, you know, some of these people, those were their kids that did need help. And we're putting them in a waiting room. And, like, dude, it was, it was tough. Like, we weren't anywhere near equipped to handle that. Like, I mean, I'm sure they're still in shambles. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it was just – that was a, a really rough environment to go to. And it, and it sucked, too. So, like, when I was in FAST, like – so we were on a nine month deployment prior to that, came home from that. My wife and I got married and, and fast when you would come off of a deployment, you would go on alpha one status, meaning like QRF type. So our unit was deployed anywhere in the world within 24 hours. So obviously us come off a of deployment, we were the most ready to go. We were just gone. So, you know, I'm up in Ohio with uh, me and my wife are getting married. Everything's cool. We're chilling and we get a phone call. Hey, y'all got to get back to base. Like we got to go. And we're like, man. So, we just did nine, nine months gone. We're finally home. Everyone's kind of trying to chill. And then this pops off. So none of us were in the right headspace anyway, to be honest. You know I mean? It was over Christmas. Um, cause I think the earthquake happened in like January, early January of 10. So, I mean, we're chilling, you know what I mean? Most of us were hammered, you know, and yeah. trying to unpack, you know, that nine months that we just dealt with. And, uh, you know, now it's right back at it. And when we got there for that, dude, it was like, Ooh, buddy. Wow. And, um, you know, I wanted to ask about like uh, you had, uh, sent me something about uh, you spent some time at uh, uh, Camp Hope. Um, you know, want to talk about that experience and like what led to that for you? Yeah, man. So um, I got injured in 2011 in Afghanistan. I got hit by an IED, um, took some injuries from it, ended up getting medically retired because of those injuries. Um, and at that time, you know, it was not uncommon for them to pack you full of opiates and other narcotics and stuff to just kind of broom you on to the next person. Right. So um, I came home to Ohio shortly after that. I got a, a home offered to us, uh, to me and my family out in Houston, Texas. And, uh, you know, we took it because once you get injured in the military, they don't really care about you anymore. It's like, oh, you can't do your job. Get out. Um and, you know, you're waiting for your VA benefits to come through. Like I was home awaiting orders, had a kid on the way and I wasn't even getting VA or nothing. Like you have that waiting period of when your benefits are going to hit. So I'm super broke living with my mom. And, you know, I got two kids, one's like fresh. And the only thing I think of is how am I going to get my pills? Right. And then once I get my pills, you know, how do I enhance these pills? Right. So I'm going to keep drinking. I'm going to keep getting, you know, just self-medicating on top of the medication that, you know, they're already giving me. And uh, so we take the house out in Texas. By the time this all kind of comes through, uh, my son's on the way and um, he's born on December 3rd, December 5th, I go to Camp Hope. Um, on December 4th is when my therapist told me, you're a Marine, you can take it. So in my not right mind of where I was at the time, I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go kill her, right? Like, uh, like I'm tired of her, you know, beat me down like this. I'm sure she's doing it to other people. If I kill her, then, you know, it's going to be, I'm, I'm going to help my buddies, right? So I'm sitting in the parking lot at the VA. I got my pistol in my lap and I'm like, man, like, I don't know what's going on. Like I'm losing my mind. I need to get some help. So I called the suicide hotline and they put me on hold. I'm on hold for 27 minutes. And my plan at that time was I was going to go in and kill her. And I was going to kill myself, but I was, I was like contemplating myself, like my morals kicked in and I'm like, you know, do I kill, do I ruin her family too? Or do I just ruin mine? Like, 
Like, what, what do I do here? So, and I had a Glock 33 in my lap, which is a 10 millimeter, which is a high pressure round. You know, I mean, it'll definitely do the trick, right? So, 27 minutes on hold, I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of debating. Like, I'm, I'm just going to end it. I'm done. I put the gun in my mouth, pull the trigger. <clears throat> didn't go off. That whole time I was, you know, sitting there contemplating and, and going through all these things. You know, my wife had called some of my buddies that I served with. And um, she was like, I don't know where he went. I don't know what he's doing. This was before, you know, you could turn your location on and off. You know what I'm saying? Like, they had no clue where I was. So one of my buddies was like, you know, maybe he went to the VA to get some help. Like, hopefully he went to the VA. Well, he pulls up and <clears throat> I had a easily identifiable vehicle, you know, big, stupid redneck pickup truck. And my buddy came over and did darn near ripped the door off of my truck to get me out. Um, and at this point, I'd already pulled the trigger and it didn't go off. And I'm just sobbing, dude, like beside myself. You know, you talk about a kid with the boogers and everything like that was me. And he get, gets me out of the truck. He's like, bro, you need help. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to take you somewhere. It's called Camp Hope. And I'm like, man, I don't want to go. Like, I just want to go home. I want to see my kids. He's like, nah, bro, you need some help. So I went to Camp Hope. It's in Houston, Texas. And um, at the time that I went, Camp Hope was more like, it was more warrior groups. Now it's a full-on residential program for guys that are struggling, you know, the way that I was. Um, and we have a really good track record of saving dudes' lives and, and rebuilding families and getting guys sober and back on the right track. Um, now it's a six to eight-month program. Back when I went, it was warrior groups um, twice a week. And there'd be guys from all over the country staying in hotels just to go to these warrior groups because it was a, it was a safe area for us to let that stuff out and cry and not get, you know, no one judge, no one passed any judgment, man. Like it was, it was crazy. And so, you know, December 5th was my first warrior group and um, I've been clean since then. It'll be 10 years, you know, next month, which is, has been a godsend, you know, it's given me the ability to be a father and a husband and a brother and a friend and all these things that, you know, I long to be that, that that's all I really wanted. I just didn't know how. And, um, you know, Camp Hope is a, it's, it's just a different place, man. You know, like it's, you can feel love there. You can feel God there. You can, you can just feel it, man. It's, it's, I don't care what you believe in. You go to camp hope, you will feel the presence of Jesus Christ. Like it's just, it just is what it is, man. And it's, it's responsible for, you know, truly bringing guys home. Like, and, and it's any era you, any discharge, it doesn't matter, man. Like it's, it's a place that just cares. And like, dude, I went to warrior groups for over a year and I never got a bill. Like we don't, there's no cost to the veteran. There's no cost to the family, nothing, bro. Like they do it all out of the goodness of their heart for free. Wow. So, I mean, it's, it's, it, it saved my life. Um, you know, I, I strongly attribute my current successes today to my time there learning some of the skills that I, that I learned, you know, we preach skills over pills. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, dude, it works like it's, it's crazy. And, you know, I, I, I left there, came back to Ohio to kind of work through some of my steps of the forgiveness and all of that. And um, some of it worked, some of it didn't, you know, I still have some of those struggles with, with family members and things like that. Um, and it, you know, it was just kind of time for, you know, me and my family to kind of start living our life and doing our thing. So we moved to Florida um, and it's been, it's been awesome. Number one, the weather's great. So I'm not in so much pain. Um, I don't deal with those unbearable, miserable winters anymore. Jeez, um, oh, I'm already feeling it up here. <laughs> bro yeah dude like it's funny so like last week it was like rainy and like 70 and i was like man this sucks and i was like wait a minute like i'm gonna show <laughs> like i can still move it just as a little bit more gingerly 
you know, so I was like, I should have complained too much. I know there's some other people that are in places that aren't as lucky, you know. Uh, today it's rainy and like in the 30s. <laughs> nah, man, I'm good. It is, uh, <laughs> it's like 82 and sunny here, bro. <laughs> yeah, man, uh, trust me. I'm, you know, I was waiting for my, uh, both my girls are, are young women now, you know, grown and in college. And I was just waiting for that to uh, make my move. But now it's just like, I'm scared of the uh, the economy and the housing market. You know, bro. It's the you know it's the hold up now. You know, I tell you, dude. It's um, Florida didn't really participate in the pandemic, right? So yeah, there was there really wasn't a um, like nobody got anything at discount down here, right? Like it just stayed steady, like premium real estate. Uh, but man, it's, I will tell there's a lot of really good benefits for veterans in the state of Florida. Like, so like, dude, you don't pay, pay property tax. You don't pay nothing for vehicle. Like it's, there's some good benefits, dude. You know, any, I can, my kids could go to any state school for free. Um, you know, there's some really good things that, that Florida does for its veteran community that, you know, make that a little bit of higher mortgage payment kind of work. Cause you don't have to save for college as much. You don't have, you know what I'm saying? Like there's just a lot of a little yeah. perks and benefits that you can kind of run away with, but, but yeah, man, it's, uh, Florida is, uh, you don't, you don't have to sell me too much, dude. Trust me. <laughs> Just that 82 and sunny did it right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, man, you know, um, real quick before we go on to, you know, you know, more about what you're doing now. Um, so that, I mean, just to be clear, so the person that you wanted to go in and and off and then off yourself was the therapist that said, "Oh, you're a marine, you can handle it." No. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how many, uh, you know, and that's through the VA, which uh, you know that could be a whole nother episode. You know, <laughs> oh, <yeah>. it's like <laughs> it's yeah. like I, I I I see the progress. There are some new things at play, like this whole health. Thing that they're pushing now i'm i'm all about you know there has been a lot of good that i've gotten but it's it took forever you well, know and they still have so far to it's go still like, still so far to go yeah well, like you're saying like dude i most like like i said most of my healing has been outside of the va and it's what people will call like woo woo or the stuff that you know that 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 uh right. You know, it doesn't involve throwing pills at you, you know, it's, uh, you know, dude, I've done like, you know, isolation chambers. I've done, you know, yeah, float man. tanks or whatever. I've done the hypnotherapy. I've done like, you know, so many different things I, on my journey. It was like uh, Frank from WAGS had got me hip to higher ground out yeah. in Idaho. And I did that. And that was like the beginning of getting out in nature, you know. Just the, the power of just getting out and oh, yeah. the, you know, uh, and I mean, I, I always got to give a shout out to, to Jen and Frank, man, because they, they were the beginning, you know, for me oh, and yeah. they pointed me in other directions. And it's like, you know, that little thing, like having that dog, you know, you wouldn't think, you know, but <laughs> at the beginning, dude, that man. Now, 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 my Brutus is ten years old, man. I, I'm, I don't know how much longer I'm going to have him, but I, uh, 
least I'll get to say, man, thank you because you you helped get yeah. me to where I'm at today. You know. Yeah, bro. Yeah, dude, that are awesome. You know, do they just you know they love care, bro, and 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 the community they provide out there, dude, awesome. And it's funny too because I actually just got a new puppy. His name's Brutus. He's a Shepsky Shepherd Husky mix, man. And um, there's a place down here. You know, you can't recreate, you know, certain places, but they're pretty close to WAGs. Like, they got a lot of – I mean, they're big, definitely bigger than WAGs. They've been running for a long time. Um, she's got a huge facility and huge part for it. Uh, I think the only big difference between the uh, canine partners for Patriots down um, – the lady that runs it isn't a, isn't a veteran, but she brings so many other veterans in to help her run that. That she's kind of like hands off when it comes to the vets. That's them run it, and it's, it's a really good program. So um, I'll be getting Brutus trained over there once he's ready, and which works well for what I do too. You know, a lot of veterans uh, come see me, so to have that dog there to go up them, just a you know wagon tail on a lick. You know, what I mean, when when they're you know, through some of the stuff they're going through, it'll be you know huge help for them too. Yeah. Hey, real quick, is your uh, what are you what are you using right now to talk to me? Just iMac, bro. Your iMac? Yeah. Okay, all right. So it's not like a phone or anything dying because it started kind of cutting out a little bit. I don't know if it, your uh, uh, connection or something was. Uh, it's always possible. All right. But uh, in case, because I've had people have, I've talked to on their iPhones and then their iPhones would die because they didn't plug it in or something. So I just want to make sure that you're good, good yeah. to go. And then, uh, so let's talk about, um, you know, uh, what you're doing now with the, uh, what is it, the uh, PTSD Foundation of America. Yeah. You're part of the, the Tampa chapter down there. Yeah. Uh, so um, PTSD Foundation of America is actually the governing body over Camp Hope. Right. So, um, you know, we it's, that's our flagship residential program that we send our high risk guys to. Um, so I run all of Florida. I'm the general manager out here. <clears throat> a lot of things that we do in the community is so Camp Hope's for male combat veterans only um, in the community. It's, you know, veterans, first responders and their families. And um, we run a lot of warrior groups, you know, kind of like the grassroots that first started that I went to back at Camp Hope. We, um, you know, just build that safe dynamic for guys to talk and get that stuff off their chest and give them some skills. It's kind of like outpatient camp hope to a degree. Um, you know, we try to put guys together based on branch and era and things like that. But, you know, we found too, that a lot of times, a lot of these groups work better when it's, you know, a mixed bag of guys, you know, that, that are on, you know, different various parts of their journey with PTSD. Some dudes are just stepping on that train to say, Hey, I want some help. I need some help. And some dudes have been on it for 10, 15, 20 years and are, are doing okay and have some skills that they can pass on and just need a little bit of maintenance here and there. So, uh, and then our family groups are huge too. Um, we pride ourselves as an organization on taking care of the family as well. I can't help a veteran get to a, play, a point of healing if, you know, his wife's unable to, you know, start to accept that change and see that change and things like that. So um, it's also nice too, man, when we can put some of the kids together and, you know, some of the things that are normal for my kids aren't normal for their friends. You know, like, hey, don't wake up my dad when he's sleeping. If you're going to touch his foot, don't, you know, drop something in the house. You might see my dad dive over a couch or something, you know. Um, those are things that, like, some of my kids' friends look at them like, what? And But when they're around these other, you know, vets' kids, they're like, 
yeah, man, same with me, you know, and they bond a little bit better. And, you know, you can yeah. see that they all get to have that, like that view of normalcy in that regard. And it's, and it's really nice because, you know, sometimes, you know, as parents, we lose sight of that, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's our normal, but is it necessarily normal? My kids feel like it's normal until it's not right. Until yeah. some, someone points it out and they're like, Oh, well, wait a minute. Like it's been my whole life, you know? And so, it gives us all that opportunity to have those conversations with our kids also like our curriculum and our warrior groups and our family groups kind of correlates a little bit to help uh, facilitate some of those conversations they can have at home about a healing process about some goals about you know just some education and awareness and um you know it, it's, it's important for these guys to have that ability to say you know hey i, I do need some help but nine times out of ten I don't get the veteran that comes up to me and says, Hey, Nick, I need help. Right. It's, it's mom, it's grandma, it's sister, it's aunt, it's wife, it's your know, cousin, whatever. It's, it's usually someone that's close to that veteran that says, Hey, you know, my guy's struggling. Like he's been isolated for a long time. He's been using, he's, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, when, and, and we're right on the front lines, man, I, I go, I go to your house, I'll pull you out and we, you know, we meet you where you're at. Right. And I'll meet you where you're at in terms of whatever, right? Like if you need cryogenic therapy, I'm gonna find you someone that's gonna do cryogenic therapy for you, right? You need EMDR, we're gonna find it, right? Out at Camp Hope, we do all those things. We have, you know, partner with a lot of people, same thing here in Florida. Um, everything that we do is at no cost to the veteran and their family. And, um, you know, anywhere I send a guy to is at no cost as well, right? So, um, you know, I got two guys sitting in uh, rehab, nice rehab facilities right now that are waiting for a bed at Camp Hope. Um, and dude, they're both sitting there on scholarship. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not, they're not paying a dime. They're not building the VA on them. They're not reporting anything on them. You know, they want to stay anonymous. We'll keep them anonymous. No big deal. You know? Um, and it's, you know, a lot of guys that, that we come in contact, you know, they're mad at God for, you know, some of the things that they went through and experienced. Um, and we, we help work through that. You know, we'll meet you where you're at spiritually. We'll meet you where you're at financially. We'll meet you where you're at physically, emotionally, you name it. Right. So, um, for me, and that's been huge for my healing too. Like I, I was doing good. I was kind of on cruise control. You know, I was a freight broker for a while. I, you know, I was around my own construction landscaping company for a while. And, uh, you know, I was dealing, I was doing okay. Like I was, you know, still, still clean, still sober. Um, but I wasn't really talking about anything. I was just kind of like, uh, not necessarily strong, strong, it's a silent type, but more along the lines of, you know, if I trust you and, and we're hanging out, then, you know, maybe we'll have a conversation, but probably not. Um, and then, you know, got a huge God shot back in March of this year. Um, some things fell through with, you know, where I was at as a freight broker. Um, you know, nothing, nothing bad, just, you know, empty promises. You, you find out that, you know, these corporate companies don't care who you are. All they care about is what you bring to the table and how much money you make them. Um, and I made this company a lot of money and, you know, they kind of, started backpedaling a little bit on some of the things that they said were going to happen. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it affected me. I was like, man, like I, it really pushed me, you know, to a darker hole of, am I not worth that anymore? Right? Like I yeah. found myself worth at camp hope and, you know, I pride myself on running a business. I pride myself on taking care of employees. I pride myself on taking care of my customers. And then, you know, I was doing the same thing as a freight broker just under another company. And it's like, you know, am I not worth this anymore? Right. So it started really kind of peel me down. So 
when that was going down, I, I pulled up my computer at work and I went on Indeed and I saw PTSD Foundation of America. One click apply, right? So I'm like, helping veterans, right? Like I'm a vet, I could probably do that. So I one click apply, dude, I didn't even know that PTSD Foundation of America and Camp Hope were the same thing. When I left Camp Hope, I left. I was like, all right, I got my tools. I'm good, they saved me. Like I'm gonna go live my life now. And I never looked back. So I one click apply, I go up to a high, go tell my boss, I was like, hey, I'm gonna take a couple weeks, you know, go home, try and unpack some things and help my mom with some stuff. She had a stroke two years ago. Um, She's doing okay for the most part, but you know, still needs some love here and there. And she was moving, so I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go move her, make sure she doesn't get taken advantage of, and you know, everything's cool. So I'm up there, I get a phone call, and uh, it's from PTSD Foundation of America. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I didn't even remember doing the one click apply, right? And so guys talking to me, he's like, hey, have you ever heard of Camp Hope? And I'm like, in Houston, Texas, Camp Hope? He was like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I've been to Camp Hope. And he was like, for real? And I was like, yeah. So we started, you know, kind of talking and he was telling me about the job and what my role would be out here. And I'm like, yeah, dude, let's do it. You know I mean? Obviously working for a nonprofit, that's a pay cut, right? Like it's a heck of a pay cut from where I was. Um, but you know, I, me and my wife sat down we went over everything. I was like, look, you know, this is, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is God calling me to do something. And you know, if I can save one, you know, I'm tired of burying my buddies. You know, I'm, I know we've all lost a ton of dudes to suicide and overdose. And, you know, I'm tired of burying them, man. Like I really am. So if I can be a, a small piece of that change, then, you know, it's at minimum the, the least I could do after my buddies gave up their lives for me to come back home, you know? So um, it's been, it's been a rough, you know, eight, nine months going. Um, Florida is the most densely populated veteran state in our country. Um, it's number three in population for veterans, but number one in suicides. So, you know, we definitely have our work cut out for us. Um, I mean, you, everywhere you turn around, dude, there's a vet, there's, you know, almost 1.5 million veterans here in Florida, like 1.2 million over combat vets. So it's <clears throat> the, the work is heavy, right? Like Florida's, uh, I'm sorry, Texas is number one in vet population. California is number two. You can feel like five Floridas in California, like six in Texas, right? You know what I'm saying? So, the, you know, I'm not saying that, that my, my team out in Cali and my team out in Texas don't have their work cut out because they do. But I, I think just that dense population of it to where there are so many at one time needing so many things because they haven't had it for so long, like the VA just can't keep up. So, I mean, it's been, it's been good that I'm busy, you know what I mean? But it, it's tough seeing the amount of dudes that really need a lot that, you know, it's not being met for them. Well, you were saying too, that, you know, a lot of times, you know, they're not even asking, you know, that pride is still, you know, or that, or maybe they've got received that bad uh, advice. Like, Oh, you're a Marine, you're a whatever you can handle this, you know? And right. uh, it's the family that usually is reaching out for them, but you know, you can only hold that, that ball under the water for so long before, you know, it's going to pop oh, yeah. out of the surface, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, man. Um, that's, the, that's the hard part too, dude, is like, there's, dude, there's only seven VA hospitals in the whole state of Florida. Right. So, um, they're, they're spread out pretty well. And there's a lot of areas that it's really hard for these dudes to get to a place to get some care, especially when they're trying to, and they're being told all oh, you can take it or, 
it's not that bad or you needed this or that, whatever. Like, dude, the wait list right now for mental health just in Tampa, the Tampa area is, dude, it's ludicrous. It's like eight, nine months to get an appointment, you know? And it's like, dude, who, who's, who can wait eight, nine months to tell somebody that they're not feeling good? And and is there like, uh, I mean, I think the VA all around though, now they're, they're starting to do more of that uh, community care where you can seek Correct. care outside. Yeah, so the community care part out here, I mean, it's it's huge, but it's also, dude, I mean, like you've been to one mental, if you've been to one mental health provider, you have been to one mental health provider. Like they're not all created equal. Like, you know, yeah. same with VAs, you know what I'm saying? Like there's some good VAs, there's some horrible VAs, there's some good people in that VA, there's some horrible people in that VA. So it's, you know, you're still trying to, you know, work through these referrals and get somebody on the phone just to get that referral, man, is, is you know, it's yeah. nothing to wait for 45 minutes for someone to tell you, yeah, we just got a referral in. And then you get to that person and they just sent 35 referrals to that, you know, one doctor. And now they got a two, three month waiting list. You know what I mean? So it's, um, you know, something that I know that they're working on. Like you said earlier, you know, they're getting better. Right. I mean, I don't know if they could have gotten much worse, but they're getting better, you know. Um, it's just, and in the hard thing too, dude, is there's a lot of, you know, nonprofits out in the world too, that, you know, they're not all created equal either. You know what I'm saying? No, yeah, I'm a little, no, I'm a little bit biased, you know, with the organization I work for, but dude, we're 91 plus percent on charity navigator. We, you know, almost every cent that we pull in goes to saving a veteran's life. Like our numbers are astronomically above the next halfway decent nonprofit out there for vets. Like it's, there is no comparison. And I mean, you know, all bias aside, there's not another organization that does what we do, you know, six to eight months that you don't have to pay for a residential treatment. Um, and even, I mean, if, if it takes you longer than eight months, it takes you longer than eight months. You're there for a year, two years, you got to come back to the program after, you know, being home for three months, you come back. Right. Like, and then the aftercare that we provide is, is something too, that's unparalleled, man. Like, you graduate Camp Hope, you need a job, dude, we're going to help you get a job. You need housing, we're going to help you get housing. You need, you know, marriage counsel, whatever it is, like, we're right there to support you the whole way. So, um, you know, unfortunately, because of how many vets there are out there that need help, you know, there is a priority system. You know, we do everything we can so that guys don't fall through the cracks. Um, but at the same time, man, we can only help those who want help, right? Like, yeah. I, it's the hardest part telling a mom when she calls me, she's like, hey, you know, my son is, is X, Y, Z. I'm like, okay, you know, I've been there. I get it. You know, is he ready for help? She's like, no, he's not. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'll talk to him. You know, give me his info, give him my info. You know, I mean, dude, we've been walking through neighborhoods out here. We get guns pulled on us by vets that don't want us around. You know what I'm saying? That, you know, guys are just nervous or paranoid. They don't, they're tired of hearing the same BS, you know, of all oh, I help yeah. you. And then no one helps them. So it's like that part of it's really tough, dude. Cause like, I do I, like we wear that stuff on our sleeves. We wear the wins and losses right on our sleeves. And, uh, you know, we take it personal. I do want to help these dudes, right? Like I, I got a new lease on life. I got, you know, multiple second chances and uh, I'll be damned if I'm not going to make it count, you know, but at the same time, like I got to preserve myself too. You know, when I go to a dude and I'm like, Hey man, what do you need? And, you know, I, mean, I can see through a lot of PS too. If you're telling me I need, you know, a thousand bucks, and you can't produce me a bill on why you need a thousand bucks. 
probably know what you're going to do with that. You know what I'm saying? And probably not going to help you get that thousand bucks, you know, but we're going to talk yeah. about it. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's really making sure that these guys know what help is there and, and getting them to a point where they're ready to accept it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, where can, uh, like, now the PTSD foundation of America, it's not just in, um, you know, Florida, you say there's chapters in California and Texas, but is it all across the U S yeah. So we have physical locations in, um, Dallas, San Antonio, Houston, Phoenix, Tampa, and Atlanta. And then we have a national navigation team that kind of covers in all those other places. And we have a virtual chapter in California right now. Um, but uh, if you go to ptsdusa.org, you can uh, click on the get help. It'll say find a group. Um, and a lot of chapters have virtual groups. I don't have a virtual group yet. This will probably gonna launch one in January, February. Um, it's just, you know, manpower trying to get budgets right and make sure we can do it and sustain it. It's something that, you know, we're struggling with. I got a couple guys that should be starting here soon uh, to help us in that regard. So once I get them on board and uh, trained up and they're situated. We'll get a virtual group running for Florida too, but anyone from anywhere can get on those virtual groups. And, um, you know, if you're in Iowa, Idaho, Ohio, you know, New Mexico, wherever, and you need a, you need a flight to Camp Hope, we'll get you on. Gotcha. And, um, where can like, uh, and I think you kind of touched on it a little bit with the website, but where can if, uh, veterans, uh, apply and how do they qualify? So, um, to qualify for camp hope, uh, like I said, you gotta be a male combat veteran. Um, our, our version of, a, of combat is not, you know, someone that was kicking in doors and slinging rounds with the enemy every day. Uh, essentially pretty much anyone that served in an area where they received hazard pay. Um, you know, we deem that a combat veteran. Um, only thing that's going to disqualify you if you're a male combat veteran is if you're a sex offender. Um, you know, like I said, we pride ourselves on taking care of families. If part of this dude's healing process is me integrating his family back with him and I can't get his kids in there because there's someone there that prevents that, you know, we have to protect as much as we can and do all that we can, you know, and that's just, you know, we, we can refer those guys out to other organizations. Um, it's just, it just creates a, uh, environment that, you know, it impairs us to help some other guys, right? So we can't really take that risk on it. Um, you know, not that, you know, those guys don't deserve help and things like that, but it's just, you know, one of those tougher situations. But um, two on that same website at ptsdusa.org, go to get help. You can do a self-assessment on there. Um, you know, the closest GM or closest chapter to you is going to reach out to you. If you do one of those, <clears throat> kind of talk to you what your needs are. You can do a vetting questionnaire on there too. Um, you know, basically saying, Hey, you know, I, I need some help, but I don't know where to get it or what to do. And we'll reach out to you. We also man our own crisis line. So um, unfortunately I'm not the only guy out there that waited on a you know, suicide hotline for 27 minutes or more. So we man our own crisis line, and that crisis line is one eight seven 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 one seven seven eight seven three. You call that, tell them what's going on, tell them what you need, and again, you know, we'll get you the right forms and and get you on that. Usually, our process is pretty quick. We are currently on a wait list at Camp Hope. It's just kind of that time of year with Veterans Day passing, and mm -hmm. you know, we only have so many beds. Uh, but we partner with a ton of other organizations that we can get you somewhere safe. 
Um, so, you know, if you're having thoughts of suicide or, you know, you're just tired of using, you want to go to the street, whatever it is, uh, you know, reach out to us just because we don't have a bed right this minute. Doesn't mean that we won't tomorrow or we won't in a week or, you know, whatever the case is. So uh, we encourage you guys to reach out to us. We'll put you in and, and, you know, all the places we partner with. We vet the crap out of them. Uh, you know, I'm not going to send you <clears throat> to some gladiator camp out there. That's not going to be, you know, conducive to your healing. Um, there is only one camp hope right now. We're hoping to have more camp hopes throughout the country. Um, but, you know, being a nonprofit, it's it's tough, right? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, wow. like your character discharge won't won't keep you out. Um we work with guys with BCDs, OTH, you know, we we pull incarcerated vets in, work with the court systems and their probation. You I mean you name it, man. Like if you need help and there's a way we can help you, we're gonna we're gonna do what we can to help you. Man, that's great. And Nick, um I I uh I really appreciate you, you know, taking the time and, and, and talking with me and uh, getting this information out there. You definitely uh, brought up uh, some of my own uh, memories and, uh, you know, my journey and, you know, just the, the gratitude that, that uh, I have today for a lot of organizations like the ones that, uh, you know, the PTSD Foundation, you know, that, that are there, you know, that have helped me along the way on my journey and uh, just getting the word out to, to help others out there. Um, before we get ready to wrap up, I want to ask you a couple of questions I normally ask um, uh, people I have on here. But um, who are three people who've inspired you and you can credit for making you the person you are today? First one would be my mom. Um, she's, a, she's a really strong woman been through a lot of things, had a rough childhood in, in a lot of ways. Um, self-made woman, you know, she, she grinded to the top where she's at, you know, she's been with uh, UH hospitals up there for a long time, um, helps, you know, all those hospitals within that system kind of run and operate. And, you know, it's been a resident matter, you know, a subject matter expert for a long time when it comes to credentialing and, you know, getting doctors on board and, and in a position to help people. So she's definitely, you know, a person that, that I, I aspire to be like, and, you know, through all the things that she's been through, the kindness and the love that she continues to share is, is unmatched. And then second one would be my wife. Uh, you know, she's my rock. She's, uh, you know, we've been together since 09. She's with me through three deployments and all of my um, antics after the military and, you know, through Camp Hope and through, you know, career changes and moving and, you know, just everything that that i've had to endure and experience she's been right there with me um you know she also she had a rough childhood with a lot of things um overcame a ton of things sacrificed you know her career so she's a marine too when i got injured she gave up her career to to help me um you know while i was going through that that portion um and you know one one ied strike killed both of our careers and you know, she never even batted an eye. She was like, you know, my family needs me. I'm here. Like it is what it is, you know, and, and just the, the perseverance that she has as a human and the strength that she helps me with even day to day, man. I mean, she's never judged me for showing emotion, never judged me for, you know, talking about some things that are harder to talk about. Um, has always been an ear and never looked at me differently with some of the things that, you know, I did in my past. So, um, and then the, the third person I would, Honestly, I'd probably say 
is uh, is my assistant manager here in, in, in Tampa. His name's Lewis. He, you know, him and I served together. We were in Haiti together. Went through a lot of things together, man. We After we got out, so he stayed in. He reenlisted. He did like um, right around 10 years. Um, I got retired just under six years. And, you know, we were kind of, we were separated for a while. Like, you know, life just kind of goes on. He was still in. I was out trying to navigate life and figure things out. And, but man, when we linked back up, dude, we, we started our own company together doing construction. And um, I got sick. Um, you know, just a lot of the injuries that I had while I was in really took its toll on me doing, you know, any type of physical labor and things like that. So he, you know, he stood by me the whole time, dude, like helped me through it. Um, and now he's my assistant manager helping me do, you know, the life-saving stuff we're trying to do and, you know, continue the mission. And um, he would probably be, you know, he's, he's a the true definition of a, of a real friend, right? Like I'm calling at two o'clock in the morning, like, bro, I'm struggling. And, you know, he'll be on his way over, you know, we'll talk about it the whole time and vice versa. Right. So, um, you know, he's got an awesome family. He will give you the shirt off his back. I mean, literally would give the shirt off his back. Um, you know, there's a lot of other people out there. I could, I could chalk up, you know, I think a fourth one for me, I might have him, you know, bend the rules a little bit and throw a fourth one be my cousin, James, he uh he still lives up in ohio too but man he's always been in here for me always helped me with uh you know just getting stuff off my chest listening not judging and uh just always you know unconditional love which you know cousins are our first friends but man he took it a next level and you know it was like a brother as well so those are the people that are most impactful in my life wow that's awesome and you know what when you're uh sharing all that about your wife, you know, I really, um, you know, that really touched me. And, and I just thought, man, that's Semper Fi right there, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a, that's amazing, dude. Uh, also, dude. I'm lucky, bro. Cause I know, I know there's a lot of women out there that would not deal with a million yeah. of what I put my wife through. So trust me, like, I get it. Yeah, dude, that's that's a huge blessing, man. It's like I I, I would uh, you know, I know like you know what what the the stuff I went through after my deployment, my separation, and stuff like that, and you know, not not to throw shade because you know it's like I had a lot of my own, you know, contributions, a ton of my own contributions to why that didn't work out. But I would remember going to like a lot of the, the, the gatherings, like, you know, I think with wags and other ones and just, you know, seeing the guys that are struggling and just, you know, like, you know, getting to know the guys like yourselves, but, um, you know, to have that, that, to have that spouse there that was just in it, in, in the foxholes with you, basically, you know, yeah. and that's, uh, you know, I, I always was envious of that, you know, never, you know, and, but, you know, my journey is my journey and I've had to do a lot of, maybe I'm, I'm, I, I, you know, I had some codependency issues I need to work out and that's why I'm where I'm at, you know, um, uh, on my, my journey, but you know, I'm still, uh, you know, not getting any younger. So hopefully, you know, mine's out there too. (laughs) It is, man. And that's the thing too. One of the things that I preach a lot is, you know, if you're going to, you can't be grateful if you're only grateful for some things, you know what I'm saying? Like you got to be grateful for the bad too. Like some of the, you know, bad relationships I have in my life still to this day 
it's like, you know, those bad relationships still make me who I am. You know, it's a big part of, oh, yeah. of the father I am and, and the person I am. And, you know, I got to be grateful for it. You know what I'm saying? Because it's still part of my makeup. If I wasn't grateful for it, then, you know, how can I be grateful for all the good things that come because of who I am, you know, and what I do. So um, I get yeah, you though, bro. I, I agree, man. And that, you know, that's kind of like where I'm, where I'm at nowadays too, you know, like, uh, you know, just embracing all the lessons, the, especially the hard ones, because, you know, it, going through those at the moment, you know, that suck. You know, it, it, yeah, it, it sucked, man. But I look back now with gratitude because, you know, where I'm at today because I went through that, you know, and, sure. uh, you know, I try not to let anybody take take that from me. You know, I mean, I've carried a lot of shame and guilt for too long that I didn't need to, you know, and I've been able to like lay, you know, at the cross so to speak, you know, and sure, not carry anymore, you know, but, uh, I love hearing it, dude. Um, and then, uh, here's a, here's a happier, uh, thought. We talk a lot about our, you know, our kids and how we were kids too. And it was all right to feel, but, uh, what was your favorite toy as a child? Ooh, Gotta be my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, bro. Gotta be. Nice. Gotta be. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta be. And then, um, you know, we've we've mentioned, uh, you know, you, you shared a lot about your your deployments and and uh, journey. Any message that you have for our, our brothers and sisters that are currently uh, serving? Yeah, man, you know, stay, stay frosty, right? You know, you never know when it's going to change. But, um, you know, when the, the guys that are still serving, or the, you know, our brothers and sisters are still out there, you know, hooking and jabbing, you know, you ain't fighting alone right now, right? Like you're deploying with a grip of dudes and, and other service members that are going through the same things you're going through. When you come home, don't try and fight it alone either. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to, we ain't alone, right? We yeah. come home, we think we are, we isolate ourselves. But, but man, there's a lot of people out there that are struggling the same way that you are that, you know, would welcome a buddy, you know, misery loves company, but once misery has company, it's time to turn that into some harmony or some grace or something. Um, so, you know, just remember your roots, you know, your roots come in teamwork. You know, a lot of us weren't out there for ourselves. You know, I never one time stepped into a firefight and said, all right, what am I going to do today? What can I do? Or, you know, what can I earn or anything like that? It was, you know, I got to. I got to be on my game for my dude on my left and my right. And, you know, then we all come home and we don't put that dude to our left and our right no more. And that's on us. And, you know, that's, that's responsibility we have to take, but yeah. you know, stop trying to fight it alone because there's, <laughs> there's a huge team out there that, that can support you. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, the same way they look to their buddies now, you know, when they're calling for fire, they're calling for, you know, a medevac, they're calling for whatever they're calling for you know, call when you get home too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. Wow. Good stuff, Nick. I really appreciate uh, catching up with you, man. In fact, I'm probably going to uh, uh, shoot you, shoot you a line after to, um, you know, put some feelers out to Tampa. You know, I, I do have some family on, down there. Yeah. Come on with it. Hey, <laughs> I'm hiring. <laughs> All right. Sounds good, man. Yeah, sounds bro. like a plan. Yeah. Yeah. And then, awesome. uh, yeah. And then, um, like, so one more time, like, real quick for any uh, veterans out there that want to know more about um, the organization, where would you send them? 
ptsdusa.org, man. That'll have everything on there. Um, they can always reach out to me too. Uh, they reach out to our crisis line and say, hey, I want to talk to that dude in Tampa. They'll get you linked up with me. Um, I'm trying to transition over to uh, my team getting called, so I'm not getting as many calls, so I ain't going to air my uh, my cell phone. Uh, but that, that crisis line is going to be one 717 7873 and uh, we'll get you squared away with whatever you need. Awesome. Awesome, Nick. Sounds good, man. And then uh, before I let you go, one last favor. Whenever you have a veteran on, I, I uh, like to get promo IDs for the for the show, but I have veterans usually introduce themselves at their last uh, rate they held or rank that they held. Um, do you mind cutting a promo ID, just introducing yourself as that, and you're listening to today's boondoggle? Yeah, I got you, bro. So my name is Corporal Nicholas Eckley, United States Marine Corps Infantry 0311. I want to thank everyone for listening to today's Boondoggle podcast. Make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast uh, stream you're out there watching it on. Hit it up on socials and uh, give Bill any shout outs you got for him. Awesome. Nick, thanks a lot, brother, man. It was really good catching up. And yeah, I'm definitely going to shoot you a line. Uh, well, if you got a couple minutes, I'll wrap up here and then we'll, we'll chat. Yeah, man. Sounds good, bro. All right.